Well, it's time to look at God's Word together. Turn in your Bibles once again to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We are going verse by verse through this very rich uh, gospel that points us to the majesty of Christ, to the deity of Christ, and very clearly that he is to be worshipped as God because he is God in human flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Last week, I took you through verses 1 through 42, the whole narrative of the scene of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. We saw salvation come to Samaria. That's what you saw last week. Salvation came to that region in Israel at the time, Samaria, you have Galilee, you have Judea in the middle, Samaria. The gospel came to, salvation came to Samaria. We saw that last week. You can go back and read verses 1 through 42. Many believed, many believed, at not just the report of the woman at the well, but when they heard Jesus' words as well. And... Um, Jesus uh, exposed her sin to her. Uh, Jesus, when he encounters her, offers her living water. Uh, he proves to her that he is the Messiah. And then she runs into town and begins to preach, as Charlie prayed earlier. She went and preached the gospel or preached about this one at the well who is the Messiah, must be the Messiah. He told me everything that I have done. And then what you saw at the end I thought was great. He is the Savior. One of the Samaritans says he is the Savior of, of the whole world, not just the Jews, but the Savior of the whole world. Samaritans and Jews did not like each other. We went through all of that ethnic issues last week and talked about those things, but the gospel came to these people because that's the gospel. It goes to the whole world. This morning, I want to take you back to the passage again. This time, I'm just going to take a excerpt from within this, these, those 42 verses, and the verses I want to look at this morning are verses 20 through 24, 20 through 24. And this is specifically some instruction that Jesus gives about worship, about worship. Um, and only God can say the things that Jesus says in these verses. If you look at those verses, you will note in uh, nine times the word worship is mentioned. In verse uh, 20, it's twice. Verse 21, it's once. Verse 22, it's twice. Verse 23, worshipers and worship uh, three times. And then worship is used twice in verse 24. So Jesus is talking about worship, and I thought it would be good for us to give some focus to that this morning as well, because there is a lot of confusion about worship. There is confusion about worship and what it means to be a true worshiper of God, because that's what Jesus says he seeks. The Father seeks, it says in verse 23, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. So the Father is seeking worshipers, true worshipers. We all worship something. You've been created to worship. Everybody worships. Everybody worships. The question is, what are you worshiping? And what does your worship look like? It is the most important thing about our life, folks. 
It is the most important thing about our life is our worship. It's very incredible to think about it, but uh, it's the most important thing that we do in our life is worship. And worship of God is the most important thing that we as believers should do. Don't equate it with coming to church. You walked in the door this morning, 1045. That doesn't mean you came to worship. It doesn't mean you even came to a worship service. Because there's no guarantee that's even what happens for you. Some people want to say, well, we go to a worship service and we watch the guys on the stage do worship or lead us in worship. Like you're an audience watching the guys on the stage do it and then you go home and eat us for lunch because we didn't do it well. Like you're an audience. You're not the audience. God is the audience. He's your audience. He's my audience. Worship is not... We do things to enhance worship. We do things that are part of worship. But there's more to worship than just this service. There's more to worship than just gathering in this room. God is not impressed that I just showed up for something. He looks much deeper than that. He looks at, do I have a heart that is truly, as Charlie prayed, excellent prayer, Charlie, pointing out, that the number one thing we want to be about as a church is to exalt God. And that's what he's looking at this morning. Does my heart, my heart exalt God? That's the purpose of this church, as Charlie prayed. You can read it in our documents. We want to exalt God. We can't even do the other two things, edify believers and evangelize the lost, if God is not being exalted. You understand? And what makes worship effective for you when you come in here is that you have private worship all, all week long. You come here hoping you'll get the boost you need from us. Well, you're not going to get that all the time. But you come here as an overflow of your own personal worship and exaltation of God every single day of your life. That's worship. Worship is what you think about God and what you think about Him and what you do in serving Him all week long. It's just an overflow when you get here. Some have described, this is one definition, there are several definitions I came across, but worship is ascribing honor and glory and value to God. It is a response to who God is. It's aimed at God. It's not aimed at you. You See, some come wanting, I want to feel good, so I'm going to go to church and get the the worship high. This is not about you. Not about you. You don't come to get. You come recognizing that God is my audience when I gather corporately. God is is my audience all week long. He sees everything about me. He knows everything I think. Do I have God-exalting thoughts? Do I have a heart that lifts up God? 
The definition goes on to say, it is the entirety of my life lived out before him. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice to him. That is how I worship. That is my spiritual service of worship. It also involves the idea of bowing down in submission to God. And it should be the highest priority of your life. You are worshiping something this morning, I guarantee you. If you're not worshiping God, you've replaced it with something else. Because you worship. You have been created to worship. It's in you. You latch on to something that will give you that only what God... God, You look for the living water the woman at the well was looking for. And you worship whatever you think will give it to you. It can be your children, it can be your job, it can be sex, it can be drugs, it can be alcohol, it can be your success in life, it can be I just want a peaceful, calm life. Your pursuits of other things that are not God. Everybody, when they encounter problems, they want, they want you to focus on their problem. Let's focus on me and my problem. May I submit to you this morning that what you need to do is focus on God first. Focus on God first. Because, my friends, by worshiping and making God the priority, I'm able then to see myself as I really am. I don't just work, I, man, I've got a lot of problems. And that is, can be an endless, just an endless list that I just go nowhere trying to fix them all. When the priority should be not me trying to just to fix everything, the priority should be me focusing and worshiping God so that I might see those problems through his eyes, so that I might see myself as I really am. Worship lines things up. Worship lines me up. Worship makes me see through God's eyes. Worship makes me have confidence that God is present even in those difficult and heart-wrenching trials that I go through. That's why worship is a priority. You will never go anywhere just trying to fix all your problems and making that your focus. That's the temptation. I remember a long time ago, I said, we've got to get away from being a problem-centered church. I remember thinking that about our church and talking about all the phobias and all the problems and all the sins and all the struggles everybody's going through. Now, it's all, they're all real, and I was right in the crowd. And at some point, we made that conscious decision, we are going to exalt God at this church. We're going to make much of God at this church. This, when 1045 rolls around, we are going to use this time of corporate worship to focus on Him. And everything we do will be to that end. Because that's the highest thing we can do. That's the most significant thing we can do. It's not that we don't want to pray with people and help people through their problems and struggles. We certainly do. But we know we are not the answer. Our God is. And I point people to him by being an example of one who is a worshiper of God.
One who lifts up God, exalts God, serves God, bows before God, speaks to his fame all the time. Turn to Exodus 19 for a moment. I want to show you a command to worship in the Old Testament. I thought Ben took, took some of this, brought up some of this this morning, but I just want to, I want to show you how things kind of got started in terms of commands of God regarding the people of God. I just want you to see how this develops from the Old Testament. God's commands concerning worship. And I, I'm going to start in Exodus 19. But you know what? I could start in Genesis 1. The whole reason the problems in the garden happened was a worship issue. I promise you. It was a worship issue. Worshiping the wrong thing. Cain and Abel, worship issue. The flood, worship issue. Tower of Babel, worship I mean, I could just start there. Every problem at its core is a worship issue. I'm reading a book right now, side note here, by Welch on addictions. Even in the book he says it's a worship issue. It's a worship issue. Anyway, back to Exodus 19. Let me show you something here. Exodus 19. Okay, what is going on in Exodus 19? God has called out his people, a people for his own possession. He's called out the nation Israel. Wait, we, are, we are moving along here, and we are seeing that he has called out this people, and they, he brings them to this point in Exodus 19. We've been anticipating this. He's constituting a nation here, and we see the first priority for this nation. Okay, this is the first priority of this nation. Notice in Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, speaking to the nation Israel. And you shall notice, be to me a kingdom of priests. Wow. Kingdom of priests. Now that's interesting. You are going to be a kingdom of priests. That statement right there hints at the centrality of worship. You are going to be a kingdom of people who worship me. That's what he's saying. That's what priests do. Priests go to God. Priests make sacrifices. Priests worship. Calls them that right off the bat. What kind of nation is this? Go down, go to go to chapter 20. In chapter 20, then he gives the Ten Commandments. All right? The Ten Commandments. Verse 1, he says this. Then I then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God. I like the point Ben made this morning. Um, I'm your, he's already their God, even before they keep these things or not. I love that statement. I just like, that just shows you the grace of the Abrahamic covenant in their lives. They are his covenant people, but yet these are the commandments I want you to do because you are my people. These don't make you my people. You are my people. I want you to do these things. He said, I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Yahweh is the name that's used here for God. Uh, it's the, the God of Israel. He set them apart. He's al he alone is their God. Verse 3, notice the first thing he says, you shall have no other gods before me. First commandment. 
Other nations, they may have many gods. In fact, you're going to go into a land eventually that has many gods. But you are not going to have any other gods. One God. You're not going to worship creation like they do. One God. No other gods before the living God, period. The second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. Second commandment, no graven images, no idols. You shall not worship them, verse 5 says, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You're not to serve them. You're not to create your own God. You're not to create a statue. You're not to create an idol. He goes further than the first commandment, doesn't he? No other gods in the first commandment. No false gods in the first commandment. Second commandment, not to worship, not to worship an idol, not to worship a graven image, not even to worship the true God in the wrong way. Who did that? Aaron did that. That calf was an idol to the true God. We want to see our God. He says, you don't make anything. You don't make anything to represent me. Very important. You don't make idols. You don't have any other gods. Yes, we see that in, verse, in the first commandment. But this one just expands it a little bit. You're not to have any images, anything uh, that falsely worship me. You're not to come up within your own imagination, some representation of me. You build it, you sculpt it, you overlay it with gold, put it in your family room and say, this is God, this is Yahweh, and then you bow down before it. No. You don't worship it as God. Oh, but it's the true God. No. No. God says, I'm a jealous God. Uh, there's no rival. You're a kingdom of priests. Worship is essential. You'll have no gods, and you'll have no worship of me in the wrong way. In these first table of the commandments, you have four commandments, right? It's going to go on to say, don't take my name in vain. It's going to go on to say, keep the Sabbath. You got the first four right there, all have to do with worship. You are my kingdom of priests. You're to worship me only. Don't take my name in vain. Don't think empty thoughts about me. Don't think wrong thoughts about me. Keep the Sabbath. Keep it holy. You see why Paul said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Sums up the law. See that? All those four are all about loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Sums them up right there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Don't let anything else get into there that captures your love. Then even before he tells people how to live together and how to get along with each other in the law, don't steal from each other, don't commit adultery and all of those, even before he says those things, he tells them, worship me, love me with your whole heart. No other gods, no idols, nothing else. Then you to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second part of the Ten Commandments summed up. 
Love God, love others. That sums up everything written here. But you can't do the first, the second one if you don't do the first one. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Well, so you're reading in the book of Exodus, and you're going on. Say, say you uh, decided, I'm going to read through the Bible this year, and you're going along, and you're going along, you're following the narrative of Genesis, and you're going along pretty good in Exodus, and all of a sudden you come to Exodus chapter 25, and everything just seems to stop for 16 chapters. Because in Exodus chapter 25, turn there, Exodus chapter 25, what happens? The tabernacle. The tabernacle. For 16 chapters, God tells them how to build a tent. I mean, if you're reading in, in Genesis, you, it goes pretty fast, right? You have creation, you have the fall, you have the flood, you have the establishment of the nations, you have the Abraham, the, the patriarchs, it all just kind of flows. You have some genealogies stuck in there, slows it down a little bit. But you have a narrative that's flowing. In the first 11 chapters, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you've got 2,000 years. And then you move into the patriarchs and you move into Exodus and you see the people moving into the wilderness and then you come and they get the law and they're told they're going to be kingdom of priests and then chapter 25 just stops. And 16 chapters on all the details of the tabernacle. Tabernacle, tabernacled among us, dwelt among us. That's what tabernacle is. The tent of meeting. That's the place where God would meet with his people. And he's very specific in how he laid out the design of that tabernacle. Verse after verse after verse. The details of the utensils and the furniture and the measurements and everything. He lays it all out with... Very, very specific. John MacArthur says in his little book on the ultimate priority of worship, he says this, God spends one chapter on creation of the entire universe and 16 chapters on the erection of a tent. That's true. If you've ever studied Exodus, you're just, come on. But this is the place where God's glory was to dwell and be the center of worship. And you know what? God is screaming to Israel, Worship is at the center of your life. That's what he's saying. Worship is at the center of your life. And this is the place where you're going to come to worship me. And you go to the end of Exodus, and you think, well, now I'm in Leviticus. And you think the narrative maybe will pick up then, and you find out in chapters 1 through 7, now you've got all the sacrifices that are going to take place in that tabernacle. Are you getting the message here? And then you go 8 through the end of the chapter, end of the book, and he's got festivals and feasts that all relate to worship. Everything is about worship. And then you come to the book of Numbers, and you say, well, now can we get them into the wilderness and into the land? No, 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 no. Numbers 2-2. Two, two. Notice what Numbers 2-2 two, 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 two says. The sons of Israel shall camp, each by his own standard. I'll give you time to find this. Numbers 2, verse 2. The sons of Israel shall camp, each by his own standard, with the banners of their father's households, they shall camp around the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, that tent, at a distance. See that? Told us how to build it. You told us the, the, what the, the priests would wear. 
told us all those details in Exodus. You told us about the sacrifices in Leviticus. You told us all about the festivals and the feasts that we were to celebrate in worship. And now you tell us to, to put that thing right in the middle of the 12 tribes of Israel when they are camping in the wilderness. Right in the center. Visual. Visual reminder of the importance of worshiping God. Wow. Wow. It matters so much to God that this is the way you set up your camp. So you don't forget, the center of your life is worship. So the question we ask ourselves is, does this carry over? Does this carry over to us? Turn to 1 Peter 2, 4 through 9. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 9. We'll get to John, maybe today, I don't know. It's not looking good. First yeah. Peter 2, 4 through 9. This is Peter writing to believers. This is written to believers. And coming to him as to a living stone. This is us. We're called living stones, which has been rejected. He's the cornerstone. He's been rejected. We are connected to him. We are living stones. We're living stones. That's us but is choice and precious in the sight of God. Men may reject us, but we are precious in the sight of God. You living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Notice, for a holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Go to verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You too, you too, taking words from the Old Testament, you too, church, are to be a holy priesthood. You are to have access into the presence of God because your sacrifice, the sacrifice that's been made for you, which was pictured in the Old Testament, fulfilled in Christ. Your faith in Christ gives you access into the very presence of God. You are a priest in that sense. You can go into the very presence of God and you can can carry out spiritual services of worship. Good works, praise, exaltation, worship of God because you are a royal priesthood as well, church. Every single believer in this room has access into the presence of God because you are a believer priest in, this wor- in the wording used here. We're called to worship. We're called, notice, we're called to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That means we are to exalt God. We are to make much of God. We are to speak to his Uh, fame in the world the jews had that in the old testament they had they had that mission to be a light to the nations to to proclaim the excellencies of god to the world as the world watched them and god provide for them and all of those things god has the church today I believe Israel will once again in the future come into play but right now it's the church that takes that message of the fame of god and the excellencies of God to the world in our worship. 
You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Corporately, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The place of worship. So, the whole nation of Israel was constructed around the priority of worship. The church is the priority. Our priority is worship. God is looking for worshipers. He saved you to be a worshiper. He saved you to be a, a priest before him. Give you access into his presence because of the blood of Christ. That you might praise him and worship him. God doesn't accept the worship of people who don't know him. Understand this. The non-believer, his prayer is not heard unless it's a prayer of repentance. The only access you have into the presence of God to pray and to worship is Christ. Just like in the Old Testament, it was that sacrifice that they had to carry out to give them access into the presence of God. And they had the priest that would do that. But that blood that was shed... And the blood that was shed, that, that, that blood was a, that was shed in, those, in, in that Old Testament time, a picture of the blood of Christ that was shed for us. But the whole point is, God has always wanted worshipers. That's my point. Let me, show you, let me show you some bad examples of worship. Go to Leviticus 10, back to the Old Testament. Bad examples, not just a couple here. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. Leviticus is... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book of the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. Now, Nadab and Abihu, verse 1, these were sons of Aaron, the high priest, took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Aaron's sons, they're seeking to worship the Lord, but here they are worshiping the Lord the wrong way. This had incredible consequences. This is self-styled worship. Hey, I think I will worship God this way. Or I think I will worship God another way. They chose to worship God by placing incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. This is me deciding what God wants. This is me deciding what worship should look like. This is what feels right to me type of worship. Seems right to me type of worship. Worship that, you know, it's, it's not informed by anything except my own mind. My own understanding. I just felt good. I think, I think you and I look at this and go, wow, this is an overreaction. Look at verse 2. Fire came out from the presence of God. And consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated, notice, as holy. <laughs> I will be treated as holy, and before all the people, I will be honored. So Aaron, therefore, he wanted to cry, You just killed my boys. He just kept silent. Powerful statement. False worship of the true God is no more acceptable than worshiping a pagan idol. Remember Uzziah, the king? He decided to play priest 
And he decided to do what only the priests were supposed to do in terms of worship. And God struck him with leprosy because God takes worship seriously. We don't. We don't. Nah, I, I really don't think we do. By God's grace, we're not all consumed for our lack of seriousness in coming to worship. We are guilty of, all of us, myself included, we're all guilty of self-styled worship. Feels right to me, I think, which what we should do. I should do. Or thinking thoughts about God that are not true. Entertaining thoughts about God that are not right. You would thought Israel would get the message about this whole worship thing. Go to Deuteronomy 29 for a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 29. And he's talking in the context here of when the nations see that God has sent you into captivity. When, when all the nations around see that God has sent you into captivity. Verse 24, all the nations will say, this is 29:24 of Deuteronomy, all the nations will say, why has the Lord done thus to the land? Why this great outburst of anger toward Israel? Then the men will say, because they forsook the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt, they went and served other gods and worshiped them, gods whom they have not known and whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore, the anger burned against the Lord, against that land, to bring upon it every curse that is written in this book of Deuteronomy. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and in fury and in great wrath and cast them into another land as it is to this day. Why did God do this? Keeping keeping God's commands was essential to staying in the land And they broke those commands, served other gods, and worshipped them. They were cast into another land. You don't have to turn to these two. Just jot them down. Isaiah 2.8, their land has been filled with idols. They worship the work of their hands, that which their fingers have made. They got into idol worship. That became what all of Israel was involved in and Judah was involved in. Jeremiah 1.16, I will pronounce my judgments on them concerning all their wickedness, whereby they have forsaken me and have offered sacrifices to other gods and have worshipped the works of their own hands. We're not talking about these pagan nations. We're talking about God's covenant people. This is what they did. And so they were sent into captivity, and that's brought on the Babylonian captivity. If you say, why were the Jews taken into captivity for 70 years? It was because of idol worship. Worshipping the false God. So, folks, I just say all that as introduction to, and not going to get far here today, obviously, but we are worshipers. We are created to be worshipers. You've been brought into the church. God has brought you into the, the family of God, into his church. He has called you out of this world to be a worshiper. You are worshiping something. You've been created for that. He has created you in Christ Jesus to be a worshiper of God, to exalt and make much of God. You've heard John Piper say this. I think it's a great statement. We are most satisfied when God is glorified. When I look, when I seek to pursue glory, the glory of God in my own life, rather than my own glory, my self-glory, when I look to, to, to seek God's glory in my own life, I'm most satisfied. I think that's a wonderful statement. 
I, I want satisfaction, you want satisfaction. I want rivers of living water satisfying my soul. That is worship God. God wanted to make the Samaritan woman a worshiper. All the Samaritans, worshipers. All the Jews in Judea and Galilee and the whole world, he's looking for worshipers. People who will bow down, who will exalt his name, adore him, make much of him. You say, that that just seems so selfish of God to want to be made much of. Well, if you were talking, I would say, yeah, you're right, that's selfish. But we're talking God here. We're talking the other here. We're talking of the uh, awesome God, the one who transcends everything, the one who is greater than and perfect. There's none. You can't even compare him with anyone. We're talking about God. And much, you know, it's not that he needs our worship. You've done him no favors by showing up here today. Just get that out of your mind. You have not done anything in terms of adding anything to his perfection because you showed up here today because he's lacking in worshipers. That's not my point at all. He seeks worshipers for their good, but worshipers for his own glory first. There is no other being greater in the universe. No one else is worthy of all the worship and all the praise and all the honor and adoration. We cannot make too much of God but we must do that. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. We are distracted. Oh my goodness, we are so distracted. We, as Ben pointed out this morning, we have idle worshiping hearts. We are, we are all guilty of idolatry. There's just this thing, sin of idolatry rises. I can look at Israel and say, didn't you get it? I, I look at Rod and say, don't you ever get it? You put idols in your heart distract distractions to the true God worshiping gods you make up in your own heart or gods you run to or gods we all do that Philippians 3 3 back in the New Testament you can just jot these verses down for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus we put no confidence in the flesh we are created in Christ Jesus to be worshipers And then the verse we're going to look at this morning, turn back to John chapter 4, verse 23. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. And then Jesus is going to give some instruction to this Samaritan woman and to people for all time on what it means to be a true worshiper. But you'll have to come back next week to find out what that is. But listen, you want to, worshiping God, worshiping Christ starts with a relationship with God. You cannot worship the true God apart from knowing him through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life No one comes to the Father but by me. You cannot get there through Islam. You cannot get there through Hinduism. You cannot get there through Mormonism. You cannot get there through Jehovah Witness. You cannot get there through all of these cults. You can only get there through Jesus Christ and Him alone. And that's always our invitation to anyone who comes to this church that Christ is 
the only way to God, all of your attempts to get to God through religious activity, through religious ritual, through external pursuits, whatever, trying to be a good person, they will not get you to God. Only Christ can do that, and that's the only way you can be a worshiper of the true and living God. Father, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for Jesus that enables us to be worshipers of you. Our greatest longing of our heart is to find satisfaction in you and you alone. Oh God, forgive us when we get distracted. Forgive us for the many times we've been wrapped up in worshiping ourselves or worshiping other people or worshiping money or worshiping things, worshiping creation, whatever idol we can put up there. Forgive us, oh God. May we repent of that this day and say, God, how can I exalt you today? How can I make much of you in the way I live my life today? How can I bring glory to you that when people see me, they don't see me, but they see Christ? How can I do that, God? We love you in Christ's name. Amen.